I was just wondering why they asked me to speak tonight, and I now realize that it's youth night, and that's why uh, I'm really a young person in a nobody, and, uh, and I'm a nobody. <laughs> but um, thank you, Pastor, for allowing us to have this privilege to be sharing the Word of God from this pulpit. Um, we are here only by the grace of God and through the work of God through his children and his servants. And I want to mention Dr. W.L. Smith, that God kind of brought us together there a number of years ago. And it has been such a privilege to learn and to grow uh, by your ministry. We love you and we thank God for you. And I want to thank the church here for the way you have received us. And uh, I read a sign somewhere, I think it was West Virginia, I think it was, and uh, in a restaurant it said, we treat, we treat uh, strangers as friends and friends as family. And that's how we feel over here. We, we feel the love and the care and uh, the friendship that you have extended to us. And it's true when it's a large church, sometimes it's hard to get to know everybody. Well, just give us some time and we'll, we'll meet more friends, amen? And more family. And we are a family, the family of God. And that's why we love one another because we are following our Lord and serving him. So thank you so much. Let me just say this, uh, you are, an example as a pastor, as a church, and uh, my wife connect uh, through live stream all the time to the services. I watch some of the services and uh, uh, it was such a blessing. So we, we got to know some by just seeing you many times participate and, uh, and serve God here together. And, and when you see a church where people are excited about coming to church, and when they save the prices because uh, you know they don't know if they're going to have a room uh, uh, to sit and so forth, that that I tell you is a good sign. And don't get proud. I mean, you know, remember Brother Sam's message on Wednesday about King Uzziah. You know, you can ruin it, but uh, that should humble us and help us to be more thankful to God for the privilege that He gives us. Well, um, let me just say this, that uh, the fact that we're here and the fact that God allows us this privilege is nothing short of a miracle. But we serve a, a, a God that works miracles. He done it in my life. He done it in your life. And uh, what a God we have. Um, God was impressing my heart to bring a message and then to share a testimony also about the God that changes lives. The God that changes lives, or as we learn from the example of your pastor, a second title could be, the never changing God who is always changing people. Amen. The never changing God who is always changing people. 
Now, somebody said, life is what happens while we are planning to do something else. <laughs> that ever happened to you? Life is what happens when we are planning to do something else. And I would like to ask you, how many came to the conclusion at one point that your life needed a change? Our lives need change. And thank God, he doesn't have to change because he's perfect. But we do need to change. And God is helping us to do that. And so, all glory and thanks to our God. Now, three times in the book of Acts, the book of Acts records the account of the change of one man that one man experienced. And that change was so great that he could never get over it. Perhaps you guessed it. I am thinking of, of Saul of Tarsus, who after his encounter with God would never be the same man again and would be known in scripture and to us as Paul, the apostle. With this, let me just uh, ask you to stand and we'll read in Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter seven, Starting in verse uh, 55, Acts chapter 7 and verse 55. And so we read, and this is the account of Stephen when he preached a, a message so powerful that brought such conviction that instead of people coming and repenting, they were gnashing their teeth at him and they want to eat him alive. And they went about to stone him. But uh, this is where we read in verse 55 and it says, but he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, let not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell Asleep. Now, I know no, none of us would like to die that way. It will be a martyr. Right. But I tell you, when you read about 
that he was being stoned and he was calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Wouldn't you like to go that way? Way to go, Stephen. What an example. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Please be seated. When Saul saw what happened to Stephen, I believe God will use that experience and never let him get away from it. Now, Stephen couldn't save them. There is a savior that could. Nobody could come close to Saul because he persecuted Christians and he went and tried to harm uh, the church. But uh, the Lord will appear to him. And you know, God saves people one at a time, one by one. Aren't you glad he saved you? Boy, I'm telling you, I'm so happy that God had mercy on us. And uh, God will work in Saul's life because actually, in a sense, he was an instrument of God to get the church to do what they weren't doing. Because in Acts chapter 1, 8, the Bible says that ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world. But God was blessing the church so much, and was growing, and it was so much uh, joy and victory and that, they forgot to go where the Lord told them. They were just happy in their Jerusalem. Well, there was Saul, the persecutor, and he was after them. But that wasn't the way that God wanted him to do it. God had a plan for Saul's life. He, as he has a plan for every one of our lives. But he had to meet the Lord so he will do a change and he will do the greatest work. Because outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, here we find the greatest missionary that you'd ever find. Author, human author of uh, more than half of the New Testament, in my opinion. So, we read about it some more uh, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 through 6. And it says, And Saul... Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, 
that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, I thought he was persecuting the church. But the Lord took it personally. He said, you don't touch my bride. You got trouble with me. And so he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest uh, thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, Saul was kicking, but for the wrong team or for the wrong side of the, of the field. I think it's this scripture many times I think as a porcupine and you're trying to mess with it, you know, trying to kick against it, you'll have problems. You ever seen one of those nature program, programs? The smartest animals leave porcupines alone, <laughs> you know. And if they don't, they'll never do it again if they survive. But uh, the Lord says, you're kicking against the wrong side and the, and the wrong way. And he, verse, 60, verse 5, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Let me tell you, you don't meet the Lord without trembling and being astonished. Amen. When you meet the Lord, you'll fall before him in humility. And right away, when you accept the Lordship of Christ in your life, you realize that you're at his command. And he says, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So God has a plan, and he tells us where to go. It is funny, when a missionary comes back to the States, and I'm sure several of you that have experienced this, people say, hey, so good to see you. When are you going back? I say, we just got back. I mean, give us some time. Uh, God has to do work in us to be able to continue to work through us. And what a place to be in this house of God where God speaks to you every service, every message, every song. I tell you, the worst thing you can do is come to church and forget your hanky. <laughs> because work's in your life and he's molding you and making you, transforming you. After all, the plan is to make us more and more every day like Jesus. Well, you know the story, if you've been a Christian for a while, you read your Bible of Saul's conversion. So there we had Stephen's Holy Spirit, faithful and bold testimony unto death. And here we read of God's account of Saul's conversion. Then in Acts chapter 21 and verse 36, and if we go there, 
uh, I'd like to point out a few things. I'm not going to read the whole passages because it will be too long and too much. You can read it, but if you want to read it at home, Acts 21, 36 through 22, 22. And here we find Paul's testimony in Jerusalem of his salvation and commission. You know, so let me just point out a few things in Acts 21, 36. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, away with him. They wanted to kill him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, may I speak unto thee? Who said, canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men and were murderers that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and that means uh, of not insignificant city, and I Beseech thee, suffer me to speak to the people, unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when he had, was made a great, when, and when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I made now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith. So here we find that Saul could only, could, could speak not only Hebrew, but he could speak Greek and he could speak Latin. And he was well equipped to, to share the message in whatever way he could, in whatever language uh, he could. So God had prepared him for that. Not only that, but he had dual citizenship. And that it was a benefit, you know, because when you get in trouble, you can say, well, I'm an Argentine, you know, <laughs> or no, I, I, I'm an American. And uh, well, get all the, you can. I mean, use it the best way you can. And so uh, it was funny. I'm on a share my testimony in a little bit, but, um, well, maybe I don't wait until we get there, but, uh, uh, hmm. I was in, in first year Bible college. When we came to, to the States and migrated with my parents, I couldn't speak English. I knew how to count in, in English, but I couldn't speak English. Uh, and, uh, uh, so we had to learn the language, and uh, I, it, it was quite interesting. Uh, in Argentina, we speak Spanish. In our home where I grew up, they spoke Russian and Ukrainian. The church where my dad pastored or ministered among the people he worked, they, they spoke Russian and Ukrainian. And so, uh, but at a given time when situations were bad in Argentina, a lot of people started migrating of all places to Hollywood, California. And one family 
migrated and then he called another family and they all another family came and like that. And so in, in, in Los Angeles, you had more than one congregation that spoke Russian and Ukrainian. That was made up, uh, many of the members were Argentines from Slavic churches in, in Buenos Aires. And at a given time, uh, the, the, the first year of Bible college, and uh, I was, we were working uh, through college at, at, GM, uh, at Pontiac Motors in four years and second shift and all that. And they had a, a, a model change and had several weeks off. They pay you for it. And so they, uh, they gave us a, a few weeks off and we were already married. My wife was expecting and we mentioned that to our parents there in Los Angeles. And uh, they said, well, why don't you come over here and be with us for, for a little while? And uh, we'll help you with the tickets and just fly over here. And so we did. So while we're there with them, I'm thinking, where are we going to go to church? Because they go to Slavic church in Los Angeles, 8th Street. Uh, and... Uh, um, my wife doesn't understand the Russian, Ukrainian, and you know I understand more and a little more and uh, like that. And uh, they said, "Well, we'll go with our parents to their church." And you got to know the Russian and, and Ukrainians. Now you come in and you're a brother, and uh, if you're in the preacher's family or something, they will say, "Oh, so good to have you here. You're going to share something with us. You're going to sing for us, right?" Well, they haven't heard us, so otherwise they wouldn't ask that. But, I mean, they wanted you to. And uh, I said, no, 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 no singing, no. I said, uh, well, you want to preach for us? Well, been, no, no, preaching, not first year at Bible college and, you know, stuff. And uh, I said, well, at least a testimony. You give a testimony. And I said, I thought, sure. You know, I'm on fire for God. And I said, yeah. And I'm thinking... Now, what language should I speak to them? <laughs> in what language? Because we're in the United States. We should speak English. I didn't know much English. I said, uh, this is a Slavic church. They speak in Russian or, or Ukrainian. I, uh, I said, well. Uh, but most people were from Argentina and spoke Spanish. The other ones wouldn't understand. Well, I guess the Ukrainian, the Russian, and me said, uh, let's speak to them in our language, in their language. So I started speaking to them in Russian and got all tangled up. And uh, I continued in Spanish, <laughs> put some English into that. Pretty soon the people in the congregation were telling me what to say. And uh, that's how it went. Well, the service was over, and my mother couldn't wait for us to get to the back, and she hugged me, and she said, Son, that was so wonderful. That was so good. And my dad said, Al, come here, man. Said, the next time you know what to say, just be quiet. <laughs> well... It's so interesting to be born where you are. Some people ask me, how come were you born 
in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I said, my mom and dad were there, I couldn't help it, <laughs> you know. And uh, God has a plan, God has a plan. But well, uh, if we go back a little bit to Acts here, chapter uh, 22, you find that in verse 14, uh, he said, the God of our fathers had chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see the just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what the Lord had seen, of what thou hast seen and heard. And so that was when Ananias was telling him, Paul, how that God had chosen him and uh, was giving him uh, this uh, commission on what he needed to do. Well, uh, there's so much, we just could go on and on. And then again in Acts chapter 26 and verse one through 29, I just tell you that it, Paul shows obedience to his heavenly vision when he tells uh, King Agrippa, whereupon, O King Agrippa, Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And then in verse 22 and 23, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first among uh, that should rise from the dead and should show light unto, unto the people and to the Gentiles. Amen. I tell you, that word got to Agrippa's heart. To, he almost got saved. Sad to say, he didn't. But he answered and said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, God would have changed Agrippa if he would have believed. And I tell you, only God can change people like he does. How many uh, can say that there is only one that can change people like that, and his name is Jesus? Amen? Amen. Well, let me just share a little bit of how God's how God worked to change my life. Growing up in Argentina, um, always had our eyes going north and place in America. Just to give you an idea, I watched every Elvis Presley movie that you could watch. <laughs> Got it? Pretty much so. Thought big cars, lots of fun. Fun with the the girls and so forth. Now God gave me a wife. We have six children, 26 grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. That's all the fun we can handle, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I had my plans. I had my idea. I want to come to America. That was in the bad side. In the good side, I wanted to be a pilot and uh, wanted to study aviation. And then 
one day I, I stayed in my brother's apartment who had traveled east and they'd gone on vacation and I stayed by myself. And I was watching a cowboy movie. That was before the changers, you know, the, the things like that. And I watch a cowboy movie and a commercial will come and I'll go and change it. And lo and behold, somebody's preaching the gospel. Now, I don't know a lot of English, but I knew what they were saying. I knew the message. I go up in church and uh, I go back and change and watch the cowboy movie. And how they were going and hey, maybe I shouldn't say this in Oklahoma. Being so many native people might be, uh, I get on the wrong side here or something. I don't know, please forgive me, my ignorance or whatever. But I was watching the cowboy movies and you know, they were going at it. And uh, uh, I go back and change. Uh, there was a preaching again. And I listened to it for a little bit. I'll change it back and watch the cowboy movie. And then I change it back again. Pretty soon I just stayed with the preaching. And it wasn't long until I was on my knees crying out to God, have mercy on me, oh God. I, I lost it without you. I will go to hell forever. He, God not only saved me that day, he called me to preach at the same time. And I thought that I was following my girlfriend then, you know, my wife now, that she'd gone back to Pennsylvania later on, you know. But God had in his plans that when I went to see her, I went to church and I met this preacher by the name, last name Smith. All the Smiths I met so far, they've been great influences to me. So if your last name is Smith, please don't ruin it. You know? <laughs> I mean, and, uh, and so... I thought I was going after Marty and my future mother-in-law, when we went to that Wednesday night prayer meeting, said to the preacher, this young man that is after my daughter, he's been called to preach. And the preacher said uh, something very interesting. We laughed ever since uh, what he said. And he said, well, let's see if God still calls you next week. That was a strange thing to say. But we went back to church that next Wednesday and I went to the preacher and he said, he did, he did. And he said, he did what? He said, he called me to preach. I said, okay, I tell you what, I'll pick you up at five o'clock in the morning and I'll take you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Pontiac, Michigan. It's about 350 miles and uh, I help you go to school. Now I had applied to another school in the, in the time in that process and I'd written to them and they helped me to, to put it into English and all that and, and, and send that. And that school answered and said, hey, sorry, we can accept you because you don't have enough English, you don't have enough money and you don't have enough education. I thought my whole world caved in. I said, God, you called me to preach. I'm trying to go that way. Well, what's, why is this? But God had all the plans. He closed that door because he was opening this other one. And the preacher took me that day. And the first thing we went, we went to Midwestern Baptist College. And, and we went in and he introduced me. And the secretary said, listen, uh, if God called you to preach and God led you here, we want you here. And uh, the devil is going to try to do everything to stop you from it. 
Well, he got me enrolled in school, and then he took me to Pontiac Motors. Men in California was earning in a machine shop a dollar and 35 cents an hour, I think, you know. And we went to Pontiac Motors, I think it was 380 to start, went to four something later on, you know. I said, wow, what a help, oh Lord. And he got me a job at Pontiac Motors and he found a place for me to live and we didn't have to start school for two weeks. So uh, uh, we drove back the same day, back to Pittsburgh, 700 miles or something. We did that day and did all that stuff and got all that settled and whatever. And man, we were so tired. He was driving, you know, and we, well, you got to understand, my preacher is from West Virginia and he's, you know, uh, stubborn and hard worker and, and he'll go. And man, we go and we were so hungry and they were, they were selling peaches right by this roadside or something. And we buy peaches and we drive in and we eat the peaches, peaches and all the juice is going everywhere, you know, like that. But we made it back. We made it back. Well, it wasn't easy to go to school four years. More, we married after the first semester, and my wife got pregnant, and she was sick as a man alive. I thought in my life, I said, is this what marriage is all about? I mean, you know, I got home from work smelling oily and stuff like that. I said, hi, honey. I said, Excuse me, excuse me, I gotta go. Like that, man alive. Wow, it was something. But by God's grace, we kept on. And uh, I guess I didn't know any better. I just stayed and kept on going. And many times I tell you, it was such a blessing. We got involved in everything with the bus ministry and with Sunday school. I, teach, I thought I didn't even know the language, but it was trying to convey and, and share whatever uh, God wanted me to do and to share. And so we, we worked and we're over there. And let, let me say this, uh, thank God for that school that took us in. You know, because that wasn't material for, for higher education. And, uh, and boy, that we needed to learn. And so, uh, they, they, they were trying to work with us and helping us. I took American history. They gave us a book like that, you know, and I flunked it that first year. I couldn't read it. I mean, it was hard to read. I took it in my junior year and got a B plus. So there was progress because I like American history. And so it went on like this. We were involved learning the ministry because it was a practical school and they tried to develop your character. Boy, did they try to develop your character. Every Monday morning we're at the discipline committee and they had to help you, you know, because you didn't do this or because you missed that or because you're late all the time, you know, and so uh, whatever. And uh, well, anyhow, we went on through like that and uh, about our junior year, a missionary came to uh, chapel. We didn't have many missionaries coming. They were preachers or evangelists, but missionaries. His name was Bob Hughes from Philippines. And he preached his famous message from Ezekiel 3.15. And I sat where they sat. And I thought to myself, if that guy sat where they sat, 
I sat where they sat. You get it? And later on, Wally Williams came with Joshua Felix, a native from Brazil, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and he preached in Portuguese. And Brazil is close to Argentina, if you look at the map, you know. Uh, I said, and he, they preached and stuff, and he shared about his, his, uh, his uh, burden and his call and, and all that. And I thought, man, God used him. And he went back and he shared with his people. I was thinking about when I went to so many places and I find four churches in one small town, one here, one there, one other there. And I'm thinking, where do I find the church in Buenos Aires today, a city of 14 million people? Not many. Praise the Lord, there's some, because some mission has been there, <laughs> the Merlos and others, you know, in different parts of the country, but not then, not then. Well, I would ask my friends in school, hey, would you go to Argentina as a missionary? I said, would you go to Argentina as a missionary? And it seemed like the Holy Spirit started knocking on my heart and says, you're Al, you're asking everybody else, but I don't see you volunteer. And God broke our hearts. And my wife said, I knew it all the time. God tells the wives many times before the men because they have to prepare her or have to prepare the wife. So I knew it all the time. Boy, I tell you, what a blessing she's been to my life and to the work over there. I couldn't do it without you, honey. Well, she had to be from West Virginia, too, you know. <laughs> because you can be a softie and go, go to Argentina. I'm telling you something. God did a change in our lives, and God worked in our lives. And you know what? God changed Saul's life. God changed my life. But God wants to change your life. God wants to change your life. And let me ask you, has God changed your life? There can only be two questions, yes or no. How does God change lives? Well, we saw it by the testimony of Saul that the Lord convicts people, uh, and he through his word and his message and his speaking to our hearts transforms people. He's the only one that can do it. You need to hear the gospel. You need to know that you're lost without Christ. You need to realize that there's no other savior and you need to humble yourself and repent and ask God to forgive you and to change your life. And when you do that, he does wonderful things. If your answer was no, let me just ask you, what are you waiting for? Maybe you're kicking against the pricks. Do you realize that your life needs a change? Do you realize? I pray the Holy Spirit bring conviction to your heart and show you that you need to change. Because there is none righteous, none not one. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is no person so good that doesn't need to be saved. And there's no person so bad that God cannot save. The question is, would you allow God to change it? To change your life. Remember the title. The God that changes lives. Or the never changing God who's always changing people. It is interesting because the Bible tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sin. And so, just like Jesus was telling Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. He's telling every one of us, we must be born again if we have not been born again. But it's interesting, you know, because when God convicts a person and a person repents and puts his faith in Christ and God changes them, you have new life and you realize everything's changed. Look, look, look what God has done. And you can't wait to tell somebody, let me just, just tell you, I don't know what's happening. I can't explain it, but, but I'm not the same person. All right. And then you continue reading in the scriptures and then it says, now you have to die. No, but I was dead in trespasses and sin. And I have new life in Christ. Yeah, but now you willingly have to lay down your life and allow God to live his life through you. Amen. Die to self. I was in a missions conference when I first started out in deputation trying to raise support. We didn't have any idea what we were doing, honestly. We were just going the way God was leading. We're in a missions conference. And if I tell you the town and the person, you will know. And uh, the man was, the pastor was inclined to write and he would write songs. And he wrote uh, a little chorus. And uh, it went something like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm with Brother, Brother Gaddis. I'm, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to tell you what it said. Lord, I want to do thy will. I want to do thy will. Take me, break me, mold and make me. Lord, I want to do thy will. Can I be honest with you? I wasn't impressed at all. And the preacher tried to sing. And I think he was of tune, Brother Aaron. I mean, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> but then the conference finished that night. And I had to drive two or three hours home. And I'm going there by myself. And I'm going over the little course. Lord, I want to do thy will. I want to do thy will. Take me. Break me. Mold and make me. I want to do thy will. I'm telling you, God broke my will that night. God changed me that night. Because I needed to die to self. Now, I'll share a couple more things. I'm sorry I'm taking too much time. Yeah, I have an interesting Bible. The Bible on the left is Spanish. I've always, for years, been preaching on the left of the Bible. And I have to stay on the right. So we have to be careful. Because if I go to the left, you'll think I'm speaking in tongues or something, you know. But, uh, but it's interesting. Uh, 
how God, how God was working. I'm reading Spanish, I'm reading English, I'm reading Russian. And uh, where God told Job in Job 13, 15, it says, uh, or Job said, though he slay me, yet will I what? You know what most people say like I did? Serve him. You don't say that. Yet will I trust him. Yet will I trust him. In Spanish it says, though he slay me, yet will I wait on him, which is the same thing. You're trusting, you're waiting on God. That's what we're doing right now when people ask me, when are you going back? And you know, say, so we're waiting on God. When he says, time to go, green light, go back. You know. In Russian, if I understand it right, and I gotta be careful because I know you got missionaries to Russia and stuff like that, those guys will, will know the language probably better than I. I do, but if I understand it right in Russian, it says, he is killing me, not though he slay me. He is killing me, yet I'm waiting on him, I'm trusting in him. God's not going to accomplish anything if we don't surrender unconditionally to him. And for that, we have to die to self. And the Lord was our example when he said, not my will, but thine. So, sometimes the language helps, all the times cause a problem. I close with something that happened with one of our professors in, the, in school. Uh, the one that we had to see every Monday for a discipline committee. Well, many years went by, he's an old man, an older man, and we came back one time to the States and God put in our hearts to visit some of those professors, to thank them, to, to see them, how they were. We went to a, a nursing home and so on. And we went to a, 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 a Birmingham, Michigan, right outside Detroit, and went to see this professor. And he lined it up so we will have supper together and we are eating over there. And it was so, so, so good and so nice uh, what, uh, what happened there and he will share. And he will tell me, say, Al, I'm sorry for being so hard on you. I said, no, you should have been harder. I needed it. I need it, honestly, I said, I needed all that help and correction and instruction because, you know, that's what my life needed. Well, in the course, course of the conversation, as God worked in our lives and many years went by, he was interested and says, Al, you need to write a book about your life. I thought to myself, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a writer. I can write. I don't even know where to start about writing a book, you know. And he said, no, I said, I can't do that. You know, I'm not a writer. And I said, yes, you can. I mean, uh, just write, for instance, where you were born. Write about your family. Where did you go to school? Where did you work? Your marriage, your children, your grandchildren. You owe it to them. 
Well, that made sense to me. And uh, he actually pressed where he made me promise to do that. He said, you have to. You owe it uh, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren. And don't forget to tell them what God means to your life. When you met him and what changes he brought to your life. Well, later on, as we kept on in the conversation and find out that he talked to the mayor in the city and told her the same thing. You need to write a book about your life and all that. And, you know, and he said, don't forget to, tell, to say in the book what God means to your life. When did you meet him? And what does he mean? What does he mean to your life? And you know, I haven't written that book. I doubt, I don't know that I ever will. But I started, I guess. I don't know if it was, this was my life or whatever. But the thing is this. God changed your life for a purpose. To glorify his name. To bring glory to his son, Jesus. And for other people to know it. And wouldn't it be great if you share what God did in your life if he saved you? And wouldn't it be a wonderful night tonight to come to Jesus and ask him to change you if you haven't received him yet? Oh man, that could affect generations. That could affect generations. You owe it to your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Only Jesus can save people and transform them like that. To him all the glory. And if anyone has a testimony, it's only by the grace of God. Paul said, I am what I am, but the grace of God. So I invite you to come to your feet and stand and pray, and as we pray, I'm asking you tonight, did God speak to your life? Has God changed your life? If not, will you not come tonight and say, Lord, I need you as my savior? Or maybe as a Christian, you need to come and say, Lord, here's my life, it's yours. You do whatever you wanna do with it. I bring it to you tonight. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that you have given us tonight of opening your word and preached and exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ, because without him, we would be eternally lost. I pray tonight that you've spoken to some hearts just like you did to ours one day, and you made the change that no one could do but you. Oh God, May no one go back home without allowing your will to be done in each one of our lives. We love you, we thank you, and we pray that you bless this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.